be even a prophet of God. That's what they would say. Um, Muhammad talks about Jesus extensively in the Quran. I mean, there's like some chapters dedicated to Jesus. And Muhammad says that Jesus was one of God or Allah's many prophets. The Mormons have an idea who they think Jesus is. They think that he was one of God the Father's spirit babies that came down to earth, got his body, and then was a really good Mormon while he was here on the earth, and then worked his way up into becoming a God uh, like he is, they would say, like he is today. Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus was the first created being, but that he's not God. Um, the secular humanists have taught that Jesus was a great philosopher. The Unitarians teach that Jesus was a moral teacher who tried to help us get along in a tough, tough world. But in all of these assertions about who they define Jesus to be, who they think he is, there is the universal denial in all of these that Jesus was anything more than a man. And so we want to explore, well, who did Jesus say that he was? Who, do we, the, who does the Bible testify him to be? So we're going to take a look at a story today from John chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can go over there to John chapter 8. And uh, this particular occasion, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. It's one of the major Jewish holidays. And so Jesus is um, he's at the temple in the courtyard, and he's teaching and preaching in the temple courtyard. So let's, as we do as our custom, let's stand to read together John chapter 8. And this is a little back and forth between Jesus and some of the doctors of the Jewish law of his day. John chapter 8, begin reading at verse 48. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. At this, the Jews exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets, yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And then verse 58, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am. You may be seated. All right, so let's kind of walk into these verses together because Jesus is saying some very specific statements in here about who he is. Remember, this is the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus is in a debate back and forth with the Jewish doctors of the law of his day. They get very frustrated with Jesus. And I want to walk us back to verse 41 of chapter 8 where, the, where they kind of just their frustration just blurts out and they say something very mean. It's very dirty, very low blow here. Here's what they say, verse 41. They say, we, unlike you, Jesus are not illegitimate children. What are they doing here? They're pointing out the fact that Jesus was born uh, before Mary and Joseph were wed. And so, or he was, yeah, he was born, he was conceived. And so uh, this, uh, this idea they're saying, and they're reminding the crowds of this, uh, that Jesus is, was this illegitimate child, or supposedly. And so what is Jesus supposed to do with this? I mean, this is a pretty, pretty nasty thing for them to say. So what's Jesus supposed to do with this? Well, you know, is he just going to walk off and just kind of stomp his feet and say, well, I'm not talking to these guys because they don't deserve my attention. Um, instead, let's see what he does. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God was your father, in other words, you want to talk about my birth situation? I'm gonna, let me tell you who my dad is. Joseph's not my daddy. Okay, I'll tell you who my daddy is. He says, if God was your father, you'd love me, for I came from God and now am here. Um, and so Jesus is saying, I came from heaven where my father is. That's who my daddy is. And if y'all knew who my father was, he says, 
then you would love me. He said, but you don't love me, and the reason is because you don't know my Father. So Jesus is putting these guys right in their place, right? I mean, he's, he's sticking it back to them. Um, verse 47, he said, just in case you know you weren't, I wasn't clear enough for you of who my dad is, just in case I wasn't clear, he who belongs to God hears what God says. And the reason you do not hear is that you all, speaking here to the Jewish people, the Jewish doctors of the law, he says, you all don't belong to God. Now, how are the rabbis supposed to respond to a statement like that? Jesus just accused them of not even being saved, of not even heading for heaven. He said, you don't even belong to this faith uh, in God. They weren't, he's basically saying they're phonies, you're counterfeits. And so these rabbis, they got some fancy footwork to do, all right? So here's their comeback, verse 48. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Now, interestingly enough, they knew where Jesus was from. He was from up in the territory of Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. Samaria was a territory south of there. It was between the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem. They knew that Jesus did not grow up as a Samaritan. He did not grow up in that territory. But they're willing just to say whatever, right? They're willing to say whatever in order to get something to stick. They're just trying to discredit him. They're trying to attack his character in some way to delegitimize who he is, who he's claiming to be. And they also say that he's demon-possessed. And so Jesus is just like, boy, I mean, that, that's basically like telling somebody who lives in Athens, Georgia, that they're a gator fan. I mean, this is just hard. This is, this is a low, nasty, dirty thing to say. Just trying to throw something at him and make him stick. Verse 49, he says, I'm not possessed. Skip on down to verse 51. I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. You say, Gordon, that sounds like Jesus is not like pulling punches here. It sounds to me like he's just spelling it out, telling people who he is, what, what he represents. That, you know, that if somebody would trust in him, that they'd be able to go to heaven. Um, yeah, that's right. He's not trying to hide. He's not trying to be um, trying to hide who he is. Verse 52, he gets even better. At this, the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Because right? they're looking around going, he just said that he can forgive sins. He just said if you, the only way to get to heaven is through him. And they're going, I can't believe he just threw that softball out there for us. right? <clears throat> and so they say, um, and, and yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. End of verse 53. Who do you think you are? <laughs> That's a million-dollar question, isn't it? Who do you think you are, Jesus? You think you're God? <laughs> oh, gosh. Everybody, did y'all, y'all just caught that, right? Jesus just said that. And they're just, they're beside themselves with glee because he just played right into, right, their uh, hopeful wishes there that they could delegitimize him. So Jesus responds, verse 56, hey, look, guys, you're absolutely correct. He says, you're a father, Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it. And was glad. So what Jesus is saying here is that I met Abraham. We've, we've had an interaction. He, he saw me. He was glad about having seen me. And so their response is, verse 57, you're not even 50 years old. Abraham was 2,000 years ago. This is impossible for you to have seen Abraham. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No bones about it. I tell you the truth. Before Abraham Remember, where did Jesus say he came from? Came from heaven. Where's Abraham? Heaven. We've met. He says, before Abraham even was, before he even came into existence, I am. 
Now let's talk for a minute about who Jesus is claimed to be. And to do that, we've got to go back to Exodus chapter 3, to the story of the burning bush. Moses has been on the backside of the desert for 40 years. And while he's been on the backside of the desert for 40 years, he's been, uh, God, we talked about this the last couple weeks, but God's been breaking him down, teaching him to rely and trust in the power of God. And he's doing that. And so he gets toward the end of this 40 years out in the desert, and he sees a bush up on the mountain. And it's burning, but it's not burning up. And so Abraham... Uh, was curious. He went up there, wanted to go see what was going on with that. And when he gets up there, God speaks to him out of the burning bush, and God informs Moses that he's going to send him back to Egypt, where Moses will be the deliverer of the Jewish people and lead them out of bondage, lead them out of slavery, out of Egypt. And so Moses says, well, okay, God, I'll be glad to go, and I'll go do that if that's what you want me to do. However, when I get to the Jewish people, who am I to tell them has sent me? What's your name? And so God says to him, out of the burning bush, uh, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites, that I am has sent you. Friends, what exactly is Jesus claiming when he said before Abraham was, I am? He's claiming to be the great I am of the burning bush. He's claiming to be God himself wrapped in human flesh. He's claiming to be the very same God who spoke to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. You say, Gordon, are you sure that you're not reading too much into this? I mean, maybe Jesus just got the tense of the verb wrong, or when it was translated, somebody got the tense of the verb wrong. Uh, what, what do we do with that? Well, we know that Jesus meant what he said because of some of the verses that came before. John chapter 8 and verse 59 um, it says, at this, the rabbis picked up stones to stone Jesus, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Friends, the rabbis knew exactly what Jesus meant when he said that he was, I am. He knew exactly who he was claiming to be. The penalty for saying something like this, that you're God in the flesh, or that you have the power to forgive sins, is they consider that blasphemy. And the penalty for blasphemy is to execute that person. And so that's why the rabbis were picking up stones to stone Jesus to death, because they knew who Jesus was claiming to be. In fact, if you look closely, Jesus has been claiming that on two other occasions in this chapter, in John chapter 8. Look at verse 24 with me. Jesus says, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. Now, if you have a study Bible or your NIV Bible, it might, you'll see a little bracket notation around that phrase, the one I claim to be. That's not in the original translation. The NIV writers put that in there just so that it would sound a little bit more fluid. Jesus' statement really is that um, I, I told you that I would die in your that you die in your sins if you do not believe that I am. In other words, that I'm God. That's because, uh, like I said, because the NIV translators went in and tried to make that more fluid. Look over in verse 28. He does it again. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, referring to his death on the cross. Then you will know that I am. And then the NIV adds the words that I am the one I claim to be. So there's the bracket. That's what they added in there to try and make it sound a little bit more fluid. But Jesus' statement again is, then you will know that I am. So on three occasions in this chapter alone, on this occasion, Jesus reveals who he is. But the first two were a little bit more discreet. But this last one, before Abraham was, I am, I mean, couldn't be more clear than that. There was no doubt to the rabbis who Jesus was claiming to be. Jesus Christ personally, personally claimed to be the God 
of the universe, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, wrapped in human flesh. Don't you ever let anybody tell you different. Not some Jehovah's Witness that knocks on your door, not some Mormon, not some Muhammad, Allah, Islamic person, whatever it is. This is who Jesus claimed to be. In fact, there are plenty of other times in Scripture where we see that Jesus claimed this. John chapter 10 and verse 30. He said, I and the Father are one. We're of the same stuff. Me and God, the Father in heaven, we're the same. Verse 31, again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. Why would they do that? Well, because Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? Verse 433, we're not stoning you for any of these miracles that you performed, Jesus, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Friends, don't ever let anybody, ever let anybody define Jesus under any other terms than this. John chapter 5, verse 18 says, For this reason the Jews tried all the harder to kill him, for not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Those people knew exactly who Jesus was claiming to be, friends. That's why every time they got done talking with him, people went around picking up stones to try and stone him to death. And you know, all of the New Testament goes on to repeat the same claim. John chapter 1 and verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? Titus chapter 2 and verse 12. Jesus is referred to as our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus calls himself the Alpha and the Omega, who, was, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That term Almighty is a term that is exclusively reserved through the Old Testament and the New Testament to refer to God. And here in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, it calls Jesus the Almighty. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He is God with flesh on. And finally, John chapter 14, Philip says, verse 8, Lord Jesus, show us the Father, and that will be enough for you. And Jesus responds to him, verse 9, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been with you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Friends, I don't know how Jesus could be more clear, right? I don't know how he could be more clear about who he is about who he's claimed to be. Jesus is the I am, wrapped in human flesh. Okay, as far as you want to go, I know you all missed our questions. We haven't asked our, you don't notice that? We hadn't asked our questions the last couple of weeks. But anyhow, we'll get back to it today. Right? Get back in that groove. Um, so that's our theological treatment of this subject of who Jesus defined himself, who he claimed to be. And so that means we need to ask our most important question, which is, what difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I don't like have some sort of a bone to pick with Jesus about this. I mean, I'm on board. I agree. He's, he is who he claimed to be, that he is God in human flesh. I'm not doubting that. I'm not, I'm not wrestling that out or anything. So, I mean, let's have a prayer, say amen, do the communion thing, and get on out of here. Go watch the ball game, right? Well, let's, let's see if, let's talk about that. Do you remember what started the whole argument? between Jesus and the rabbis. Remember what started the whole argument? The whole argument, argument was started when the rabbis asked Jesus, who do you think you are? Who are you claiming to be? 
And what, Je- what did Jesus do? He answered their question. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He claimed to be God in the flesh. All that he did was to answer their question. Did you notice that? Everything stems from that. He answered, he wasn't dodging. He answered their question. He answered it definitively. He answered it precisely. He answered it unambiguously. He answered their question. He left no wiggle room whatsoever about his identity. And I believe that today in the 21st century, as it was in the first century, the world still does not want to hear the answer to that question. The world still does not want to accept the answer to that question. And as such, I believe this is where, friends, we need to take our stand. We need to take our stand on the deity of Christ. It's an uncompromising, a refusal to yield on this issue. Friends, you know, if we present Christ to people in our world today, it's okay if they want to resist the Lord. It's okay if they want to reject Jesus. I can't make somebody convert to Christianity. I can't make somebody ask Jesus to forgive them of their sins. I can't make somebody put their faith and their trust in him for heaven. I can't make somebody do that. However, and so that's, that's, their, that's their business. But one thing as followers of Christ that we cannot allow people to do is to redefine who Jesus is. In the early church, when the Roman Empire wanted all of its subjects to confess that the emperor himself, Caesar, was God, the early church resisted that. And they were willing to go to the lion's den. They were willing to go into the gladiator's arena. They were willing to have their bodies set on fire. They were willing to have, have their lives taken whatever the cost, because they would not allow the world around them to redefine who they knew Jesus to be. In some parts of the world, to defend Jesus Christ may well cost us our lives. I saw a statistic yesterday that over over 90,000 people lost their lives last year in the world because they claimed the name of Christ. 90,000 people last year. Their lives were cut short were ended by a bullet or whatever because they claimed the name of Christ. Now, living here in America, I don't anticipate that to be the issue. Maybe somewhere way on down the line, but probably not going to cost us our lives. But friends, to stand firm that Jesus is God in human flesh may cost you a job. It may cost you a raise or promotion. It may cost you some friends. It may cost you in in some very tangible ways, but whatever the cost, as followers of Jesus Christ, walking in the footsteps of those early Christians, we have the responsibility to pay that price, whatever it is. Redefining Jesus is simply not something we can allow people to do. And we've got a world, friends, that wants to redefine who Jesus is to break him down to a level where they don't have to make any changes to their lifestyle, where they can live however they want to live, where they can ignore biblical morality. They don't want to deal with the lordship of Jesus Christ and then have to get along with him. They want to make him into a humanitarian. They want to make him into a moralizer. They want to make him into a philosopher. They want to make him into some prophet. Maybe we'll even go there. But the one thing that they absolutely universally deny, whether they're secularists, humanists, or some religion of some other kind other than Christianity, they all deny that Jesus was anything more than what he claimed to be. And friends, we have to be ready to defend whatever the cost, 
who Jesus claimed himself to be, that he is God in human flesh. What I'm trying to say to you today is that as followers of Jesus Christ, he is asking us to stand firm on the unique identity of Christ, to stand firm on the deity of Christ. He's asking us to stand firm on that because he is God in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity, and he offers us the pathway to heaven. He's asking us to stand firm on that in our office. He's asking us to stand firm on that amongst our friends at school. He's asking us to stand firm on that amongst our family, amongst our co-workers, amongst wherever we go, that we will not yield on this issue, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. You say, Gordon, I appreciate all that good preaching, but I got a question for you, all right? You're ready for a question, right? Gordon, take a break. Catch your breath. Catch your breath right now, right? Here's my question. You say, just an honest question. Why? I mean, because you tell me I'm supposed to be willing to pay this call, but why? Why should I be willing to pay this call? Well, the answer comes to us from Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32. Let's take a look at it. Jesus said, here's what's going to happen when you get to heaven, Okay. He said, whoever acknowledges me before men, so here on the earth, whoever acknowledges me stands up that this is who Jesus is before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Now, I'm just going to be quite clear with you. I don't understand all of that verse. I don't understand exactly what Jesus means when he says, acknowledging you before the Father. But here's one thing I do understand. Whatever that means, I want it. I want it. I really, really do want it. Whatever it means to acknowledge me before the Father in heaven, that's something I want. And how do I get it? Jesus just told us. He said, Gordon, you got to stand up for me down here on earth. And folks, he's saying the same thing to you. All right, let's summarize and then we'll, be, we'll wrap this up. Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. And he did so with no ambiguity. He did so definitively and precisely with no wiggle room whatsoever. And now Jesus calls on you and me as his followers to take a stand for this truth and to never compromise on it regardless of what the cost may be to you or I personally. This is the torch. This is the mantle that has been handed to you from tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of Christians who have given their life to defend that truth. And it's been placed in your hands. Friends, we cannot yield on this issue, no matter what the cost may be. Let me say one final word. If you're here this morning and you'd say, Gordon, you know what? I've never thought about Jesus in these terms. Uh, I've been around church, talked to Christians, been in church myself, and I mean, I really thought about Jesus as a moral person. I thought about Jesus as a great teacher who was trying to help us get along in a tough world, but I never couched him in the terms of him being God. And so what I want to say to you is that a confession needs to come from your lips you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, is Messias, is God in the flesh, you will be saved. But friends, without that recognition in your mind and confession from your lips, heaven will not be 
your home. I want to give you an opportunity here in just a few moments. We're going to share communion for you to bow your head where you're seated and just to pray quietly where you're at, confessing your belief that Jesus is God, the Christ, your Lord and your Savior. And you just do that quietly. You ask him to forgive you of your sins, to wash your heart clean, and to give you eternal life. Let's bow our heads together. Most gracious Lord, we thank you for just these basic, most elementary truths that are clear from the pages of Scripture, that are clear from the words that you spoke while you were here on this earth, Lord Jesus. God, if there be some here today who would say, that's a confession I need to make. That's an assertion I need to state. Lord, we pray that you would, your Holy Spirit would stir in our hearts, that you would drive us to you and to your cross, recognizing that there is no salvation by any other name but through you, Lord Jesus. It's the only way to have our sins forgiven. It's the only way to see heaven as our home. And Lord, for those of us that have made that decision, that you are indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God, our Lord and our Savior. Lord, may we go forward from this place all the more determined all the more determined to not yield on this issue. To declare it kindly, to declare it lovingly, but Lord, may we declare it. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just stir in our hearts. Speak to us now in these moments of quiet communion, we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.